So you may have to uh, forgive me. I have a little bit of a sore throat, so there may be moments where I grab water uh, because I don't want to uh, cough uh, too, too much. But tonight we're continuing our, our season, our series uh, called Face to Face. And I was thinking about this this week. If you have a friend, family member, or you meet somebody and you want to get to know them, what is the way that you get to know them? Well, one of the first things you do is that you listen to them. When they speak, you listen, you hear about their interest, you hear uh, about their, their work, you hear about their family, you hear about where they believe God is calling them to go or, or what they're excited about, their dreams. But you don't only listen to them, you also observe them, right? If you only listen to somebody but you never see how they interact with other people and how they treat other people, you never really get a full glimpse of who they are. So you listen and then you observe how they treat others, uh, how they interact and work and, and social situations. And this enables you to get to know somebody. And our, our, our new series entitled Face to Face, Encountering the Person of Jesus, it, it comes with this idea that we want to know Jesus more. And we don't want to just listen to him, but we want to observe him. So we want to listen to his words, but we want to observe the way that he interacts with people and the way that he encounters people that are, are from very different spectrums, very different places in life. And so tonight, uh, Jesus is going to encounter a skeptic. And you're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is by what he says and by how he treats Nathaniel the skeptic. But before we jump into the, the passage that Rachel read tonight, we have to, to recognize what was previously said. We're in the Gospel of John here in the New Testament, and this is chapter 1. And right before this, John starts his book like this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John starts out his book in this really interesting way. It, it sounds a lot like Genesis. The very beginning of the Bible and Genesis and the Old Testament sounds very familiar. And, and John says, listen, I, I want to come right out and say, listen, in the beginning was the word. And you notice that it's capitalized. And the reason it's capitalized is because it's a proper noun. And this word means the logos. So in, in Greek society and Greek philosophy, there was this understanding, this idea of something called the logos. And what the logos was, it was the overriding and supreme order of nature. So the philosophers and the religious leaders and, and really the culture itself said, we're going to seek out meaning and purpose. And, and we believe there's all these different gods, there's all these different paths that you may take in life to find meaning and purpose. But we acknowledge that there is something supreme. There's something overriding all of that that holds it all together. There's this rational, moral order that we don't know what or who it is. And so the Greeks termed it the logos. And said, that's the logos. We don't really understand it. We don't know who it is or what it is, but we're going to term it the logos. And so John here starts out his book, and he writes, he says, in the beginning was the logos. And then he says the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. Meaning the Logos was somehow distinct from God the Father, but also was one with God the Father. There's this really interesting and, and dynamics of, of who God is and the Logos. And, and John will go on to say 
that, that thing that you've been looking for, the thing that gives meaning and purpose and fulfillment and is the overriding supreme order of everything has in fact become a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. The logos, the word, is Jesus. It is God made flesh to dwell among us to bring grace and truth. And when the people read this, this would have been such a shocking statement. It would have really shook them to their core. And then so John begins to develop this thought and this idea by making it relatable. And that's where in the very first chapter, he explains this encounter that Jesus has with Nathaniel, who is a skeptic, who is a thinker, and, and he has some of these reservations and resistance to Jesus and his message and his path and the idea that the logos could become flesh. And as we saw last week, Jesus begins his public ministry uh, with a baptism. He's baptized not because he is sinful, but as this inauguration, this visible sign that he is about to begin his public ministry to perform signs and wonders. He's going to proclaim the kingdom of God. He's going to say that he is, in fact, the Logos become flesh. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Messiah. And then immediately after this really powerful and beautiful baptism where supernatural things happen, where the Spirit of God comes like a dove onto Jesus, and God the Father speaks and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus leaves into the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's in there for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted by the devil, and he overcomes as he begins his ministry. And this is where we pick up. Right after that, Jesus is going to begin to gather his disciples. And so it says here in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now Jesus is from Galilee. He's from Nazareth, which is in the region of Galilee. And if you visit Israel today and you go to the region of Galilee where the Sea of Galilee is, it will be a highlight of your trip. It is a beautiful, beautiful place especially when you're on the sea and you're overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It is just magnificent. But you see, during Jesus' time, to be from Galilee was not a good thing. To be from Jerusalem was to be from the top. It was to be elite. This was a place of influence and a place of power. This is where you wanted to be from. And Jerusalem, being on a mountaintop, literally looked down on Galileans. So to be from Galilee was to be from kind of the other side of the tracks. It is to be viewed as less than. These were kind of common people. And so Jesus is in Galilee. It's where he'll spend most of his public ministries, where he spent most of his life. And it says this, he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And so he's gathering disciples, Andrew, Peter, John, and he comes to Philip and he says, Philip, I want you to follow me. And when you're reading, like, this is really weird. Like, Jesus is walking around just being like, hey, Philip, follow me. He's like, okay, great. And then he just, like, leaves everything. Like, what is going on? Like, if someone did that today, they would be labeled like a crazy person. But this is, this is very common in this culture, right? There's no universities. There's no colleges. And so people that wanted to study and seek out meaning and truth and just to understand more about life and who God is, they would follow rabbis. They'd follow teachers. They'd literally follow them. They would follow them all around and learn from them. And so Jesus is gathering his disciples. And to be invited to follow a rabbi that you respect and you believe in is a great privilege. And so Jesus is gathering his disciples, and he, he invites Philip to follow him, follow him and, and Philip agrees and what happens when you become part of something that you're really excited about? 
you go to your friends, right, and you say, listen, hey, I'm, we're a part of this thing. You can come too. You want to bring your friends along. You want them to be with you. And this is what Philip does. His buddy is Nathaniel, and he wants Nathaniel to be a disciple too. He wants Nathaniel to follow Jesus. And so Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip comes to Nathaniel, and he's like, Nathaniel, you're not going to believe this, man. Like the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the one that we've been reading about and studying about in the Old Testament our entire lives. We read about it in, in the books of Moses. We've heard about it from the prophets. Like, he's here. God is with us. The Savior is here. The Messiah is here. And you need, to, he invited me to follow him, and you need to come too. Like, this, this is unbelievable. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Jesus is from Nazareth, and, and as I said, the Galilean region is like looked down upon. It's the other side of the tracks. Nothing, no, no one wants to be from Galilee. But even within Galilee, there's one city that nobody wants to be from, and that's Nazareth. To be from Nazareth is to be the lowest of the low. I mean, this was actually a common saying. A common saying in this time was, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, nothing good's ever come from Nazareth. So Philip, Nathaniel is sitting here, and he's saying, he's, he's a skeptic. He says, come on, Philip. I, I, know, I see you're really excited about this. Right? The Messiah is here, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, all this stuff we've been waiting for, but... There is no way in the world the Messiah is from Nazareth. Jerusalem, but not Nazareth. Come on. And before you judge Nathaniel, you're reading this, you're like, what is his problem? Right? Like, at least investigate. At least go meet Jesus. At least question him a little bit before you have all these thoughts and opinions about who Jesus is. And he's also a little bit of a bigot, Right? He's like, come on, Nazareth. No one from Nazareth can ever do anything meaningful or good. Before you judge him, be careful, because this is not a common response that many of us have as skeptics. Right? You, maybe you, you're struggling with this. Maybe you're asking questions, and you have, you're doubting different things of, of the Christian faith and, and truth claims about who God is and Jesus. And you think to yourself, like, okay, let me, let me run this through for a second. The Logos has become flesh. God became flesh through a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins as a sacrifice, was buried and put in the grave, and then three days later did something that never ever happens. He came back from the dead. And now God is offering me forgiveness and love and relationship with him and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Come on. Like, come, do you, I mean, do you hear what that sounds like? You expect for me to believe that? Or maybe you've thought like this, like, okay, the Bible is the word of God and the source of truth. I guess 2,000 years old. Longer than if you had the Old Testament. Like, that is where truth is found in this really old book? Come on. Or, or maybe you are searching Christianity and you're really connecting with aspects of it and Maybe you believe in Jesus. You believe that he has died for your sins and you recognize that you're loved by God and you've received God's grace. But then you think to yourself, 
But Jesus as being the only way to God. I understand he says that, and it's in the Bible, but come on. Like, that's outdated. That's narrow-minded. Jesus as the only way to God. See, Nathaniel is a skeptic, and, and he thinks to himself, there is no way in the world the Messiah could be from Nazareth. I mean, who would think that? Who would imagine that? Like, Philip, you got to really rethink some things. And I, I want to say something. If, you, if you're here and you're wrestling through skeptical questions, you have doubts, you have thoughts and, and, and concerns even about Christianity and who Jesus is, and you have questions about the truth claims of Scripture, like, it is awesome that you're here, and, and you're welcome here, and this is a safe place for you to walk through those questions. This is a great first step that you're actually here and working through those questions. You're asking those things. And you're going to see in a moment that Jesus wants to encounter you in your skepticism and walk through that gently with you. Because what happens is we all have these deep-seated convictions. We all have these deep-seated positions where we are skeptical. We are skeptical of certain things that we hear. And what it causes in us is resistance or we just dismiss things that we hear, especially in regards to the Christian faith and, and Jesus and his message and his path. We're dismissive or we're resistant. And I want to say this. You're not the only skeptic here. If, if that's connecting with you and you're thinking like, yeah, that's me, like I'm working that through, you're not the only skeptic here because every single one of us in this room, we are all skeptics. All of us here have some deep-seated conviction or skepticism that causes us to be dismissive or to be resistant to things that are written in God's word, to Jesus and his message and his path. And a lot of times we don't admit it or we don't work through it because maybe we don't verbalize it. But skepticism isn't only found in what you verbalize. It's also found in how you behave and how you respond. So you may have spent time in church and you may have been reading that God, God calls you and invites you to cast your anxieties and your cares upon him. That he cares for you. And that he wants to alleviate your burden and make it light. And you think to yourself, that sounds really good, but come on. I mean, how does that work? Maybe you've thought to yourself, you know, I understand that the Bible says that prayer is important. And I pray sometimes when I need to pray or something's going on, but like God knows my thoughts. So do I really need to pray? Right? Like, you feel that? Maybe you've thought this. I understand that the pastor really wants me to come to church. And I understand that the Bible says that it's important to go to church and, and be a part of God's family and his community but, like, honestly, me and God are good. Like, we're good. And, and, like, I'll go sometimes, but I don't really need to go on a regular occasion. Like I kind of have a problem with commitment, you know, the whole thing. So, like, I'll go sometimes. It's not, skepticism is not always verbalized. Oftentimes it's how we respond or behave. Maybe you've, you've thought to yourself, you know what? Like, I understand that the Bible says, and I've heard it, and I believe it, and I will say that the Bible says that I should be generous. But, like, I'm working on me right now. Once I get stable, once I kind of get a few things fixed, later in life, then I can be generous. And God's cool with that, you know? 
I know that I'm supposed to serve and be engaged in God's mission and to be advancing his gospel, but like I'm really busy with work right now, and I can't really give much more time. So God's okay with me kind of waiting till later in life when he frees up my schedule a bit for him. Or how about this one? I understand that the Bible says that I should share my faith. The Great Commission's for everybody. Go make disciples of all nations. I should be evangelizing. But I'm kind of a quiet person, you know, and I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, and I don't want to feel uncomfortable, uh, and I don't want to kind of, like, mess up any of my relationships. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, like, try to be a good person. Maybe they'll notice it, and I'll never actually say anything. When God gives me the opportunity, I'll just kind of let someone else do it, like a pastor or someone who's like, that's their job. You know, they can do it. I'll just bring them to him. Right? We all have things that we're skeptical about, whether we voice them or whether they just show up in our behavior. And I want to share the two most dangerous skeptical questions that you could be wrestling with. The first one is this. I understand, and I've heard it said, that God loves me. But I don't really feel like he could. I mean... You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did last week. You don't understand the sin that is in my life, and it is constant. I mean, I keep telling God I'm going to stop, but I don't. So I just don't really see how God could love me. That's a really dangerous place to be because it's a lie. And the other side of the coin, which is also a, a position of, of skepticism and resistance or dismissing what God's word says, is you may think to yourself, I know that God loves me which means I can do whatever I want. I got the fire insurance, you know what I mean? Like, I'm good. I got the faith, so I got the fire insurance, so now I can live however I want. I understand that there's commands and, and obedience and disciplines and supposed to be following Jesus and all of that, but I'm forgiven, so now I'm good. That's also dangerous because that's also a lie. See, we are all like Nathaniel. We are all skeptics. In different ways. Some of us vocalize it because we're courageous enough to share it. And some of us, it just shows up in our behavior and how we respond. And I love Philip as a friend. He's a really good friend. And this is how we are to be to other people when people voice their skepticism. We should be like Philip. Philip doesn't look at Nathaniel and say, what is your problem, man? Like, why are you being like this? He doesn't try to persuade him. He just says, okay, I understand. Why don't you just come and see? Just come and see Jesus. And, and this is the same thing that John is inviting all of us to do, to bring our skepticism and just come see Jesus. And so they go together to meet Jesus, and it says that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said this, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So as they approach, Nathanael has said nothing, and he says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's very gentle. He's very kind and gracious with Nathanael. Nathanael's probably known as this outspoken brash. As you can tell, he just says his opinion and doesn't care. He's got the foot-in-the-mouth syndrome. And Jesus is like, here is someone who's authentic and genuine. He is very kind and very gentle and gracious with Nathanael. And this shocks Nathaniel. He's like, he's like, I haven't even said anything, and how do you already know my personality? He says, how do you know me? How, how do you know that about me? And then Jesus says this, and this totally 
throws Nathaniel for a loop. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And this is so frustrating to me because I want to know what happened under the fig tree. Don't you want to know? Like, I love mysteries. I say, that's why I love the show Lost. Every single episode is like a thousand mysteries, and I was hoping they would answer them all, and they never did. But I still love it because I was so invested in the mysteries. But I want to know the answer. I want to know what happened under the fig tree. And we don't know what happened under the fig tree. But here's what we know. Whatever happened under the fig tree was a secret, and no one knew but Nathaniel. No one knew. And he cannot even fathom how Jesus knows his secrets. He knows his personality, and he knows his secrets. And this experience with the transformational power of Jesus shakes him. And he responds to Jesus, and he says, Rabbi or teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's like, Philip was right. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the Son of God. You are the one that we've been reading about and praying about and hoping for. Like, it's actually you from Nazareth. Wow. He goes from unbelief to belief in a moment. As he experiences this transformational power of Jesus, he knows him. He knows his personality quirks. He knows his secrets. He knows everything about him. And see, Jesus knows everything about us, too. He knows your personality quirks. He knows your secrets. He knows your failures. He knows your dreams. And it's important to recognize Nathaniel's response. When you think about that, when you think about Jesus knowing you, your secrets, you may think, I don't really know if I want that. Because we've all done things under the fig tree, right, that we don't want anyone to know about. And Jesus knows. And it's a good thing that he knows. It is a blessing that he knows. Because, see, when you encounter the transformational power of Jesus and you recognize that you are known by God, that the Logos knows you, you come to encounter the fact that not only does he know you, but he loves you, regardless of what you've done. That's why that one skeptical point is so dangerous to think that God doesn't truly love you because of what you've done. When you recognize that God knows you, you realize that he does, in fact, love you. Even though you have many episodes under the fig tree that you don't want anyone else to know about. He loves you, and he knows you. And and so Nathaniel experiences this, and he goes from unbelief to belief. And Jesus has a really peculiar response. Maybe you picked up on it as Rachel was reading. Jesus answered him and said, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You you expect something different of Jesus, right? You're like, all right, Nathaniel, come here and give me a hug, man. Yes, I know you. We're good now. Thank you for going from unbelief to belief. I knew that was going to happen anyway. Like, it doesn't happen. He's like, so now that I know you, now you believe? Because you had this emotional experience with me where you realize that I'm known? You were, just a moment ago, you were all about thinking. You were all about your knowledge that nothing good can come from Nazareth. And now all of a sudden, because you realize that I know you, you have this emotional experience with me, and you just go from unbelief to belief just like that. You're like, why is Jesus doing that? Why is he challenging Nathaniel a bit? It's very powerful and 
fragile moment in his life as he's come to faith in this setting. You see, Jesus wants to challenge Nathanael to ensure that his faith is balanced. You see, faith is both intellectual and emotional. It is intellectual and emotional. It involves your mind and your heart. And he wants to make sure that Nathanael doesn't forsake that. He doesn't just experience the transformational power of Jesus, but forsake the understanding of who Jesus is and believe with his mind in who he is, not just experience who he is. This is really important for us to to, to grapple with and wrestle with because we all skew to one side or the other. Our faith is maybe more intellectual or our faith is more emotional. And, And if your faith is more emotional or primarily emotional, then Christianity for you can become a consumer good, right? You you want to consume something from Christianity. You want to feel something good. And so you go to church to feel something, to get something. You pray when you need to feel something, when you need to feel God's nearness or you want to get something from God. You read the Bible when you want to feel something, when you want to get something. When you're having a hard time and you're struggling in life, you, you try to figure out some things that you can do for God to feel like it's going to help. And, and oftentimes, if, if, your Christ, if your faith is, is more emotional, there's a few things that will show up in your life. One is you probably move churches a lot. Because once you're at a church and you don't feel it anymore, you go to a new church. Also, uh, you probably pick and choose aspects of the Bible that you want to apply to your life. Because if it feels right, then you'll follow it. If it doesn't feel right, then you'll dismiss it and and resist it because of that skepticism. You probably concern yourself with the experience of a Sunday service. So you want a good band, a great band, which we have, right? You want a great band, and you want motivational teaching. You want to walk out of church feeling something, motivated, excited. And on the flip side, if your faith is more intellectual or primarily intellectual, then Christianity can become a religious good. See, you go to church, but you're probably not that excited. You're like, I'm going to church because I'm supposed to. I'm here, just standing here, engaging. You read the Bible because you're supposed to and because you want to learn something. You want to study. you got the big study notes Bible. And every time you, don't, you feel like you, you haven't spent time with God unless you've learned something new. You pray because you're supposed to, but probably when you pray, it's like a bullet point checklist, right? Let me get the things to God, now I'm good, let's keep going. And so when you come and apply scripture to your life, you probably apply scripture to your life, even the things that are difficult, even the things that don't feel good, but what it probably generates in you is this feeling of self-righteousness. You're like, yeah, I'm applying that. Look at those people, they're not. Those people are from Nazareth. Or it creates a sense of legalism in you, right? Where you're like, man, it's all about just following the rules. That's what Christianity is about. Believe in Jesus and follow the rules. And when you go to church, you don't really care about the experience. You're about the content, right? So you want songs that are ancient hymns or really deep lyrically. And you don't care about being motivated in the sermon. You want to learn something. You want theological, doctrinal depth. 
So when you walk out, you can apply something else to your brain about who God is. You see, all of us here, we skew to one side or the other, some of us more drastically and dramatically than the other. But faith is both emotional and intellectual. It's a balance. And so Jesus looks at Nathaniel, who goes from intellectualism to emotionalism, and he says, hey, 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 let's balance it out here. Don't forget that you need to know who I am. You need to think as well. Your faith needs to be emotional and intellectual. And we know that because Jesus then tells him that he's going to experience much greater things than this. Like, I know this is great, Nathaniel, that you understand that I know you. And you believe now because of this experience that I am, in fact, the Messiah. But you're going to see greater things. And then Jesus tells him what those greater things will be. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And you may be reading that and be like, what does that mean? That just sounds weird. But see, for Nathaniel, this connected with him. Nathaniel has spent so much of his life reading and understanding God's word in the Old Testament. And he knows what Jesus is referring to here. He's referring to Jacob and a dream that he had. Jacob has this dream, and as he it has this vision in the midst of his dream that there's a ladder connecting heaven and earth. And on the ladder are angels that are ascending and descending the ladder. And it was this powerful moment for Jacob and for the people of God because it was signifying that one day there would be a connecting point between earth and heaven. And the angels signify God's presence. And so what is being communicated all the way back in the Old Testament to Jacob and the people of God held to was that at one point there would be a connecting point, a connection between heaven and earth, between God's presence and his people. Because there's a dividing wall that separates God's presence from humanity. And that dividing wall is sin. God is perfect, we are imperfect, and there's a division there. But they're holding on to the fact that at one point, there will be a connecting point. There will be a ladder. There will be a hole in the dividing wall that you can pass through to experience who God is in relationship and know his presence where heaven and earth meet. And Jesus is saying here, remember that dream? Its fulfillment is here in me. The angels are going to be descending and ascending on the Son of Man, on me. I am, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior. I am God in the flesh. I am the Logos become flesh. And you're going to very shortly see not a ladder, but a cross raised up. You're going to see me on that cross. And what you're going to see is the connecting point between heaven and earth. That through the cross, you may pass through the dividing wall of sin and experience the presence of God, to be known by God, to be loved by God, to be forgiven by God, to be assured that you will be in relationship with God for eternity. So he looks at Nathaniel and he says, you need to know who I am. I want you to never forget the experience that you've had here, but you also need to know who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. Through me, you connect with God. The presence of God can be made available to you. And that is the same invitation that's given to us. 
is that the presence of God is made available to you through Jesus Christ as you look upon the cross. That is the connecting point. Jesus is the connecting point between heaven and earth, between God's presence and his love and his forgiveness and you and your sin. So it is good to be known by God because when you are known by God and when you're looking at the cross and you believe in fact that Jesus has died for your sins, you know that it doesn't matter what you've done. You are loved and forgiven. And you can encounter the transformational power of God's presence, but you can also know who God is. And you can cling to that as well. And so I want to encourage you and I want to invite you to bring your skepticism to God. Whether you're wrestling with questions of faith and you don't really know if you believe in Jesus and who he is and what he's accomplished for you on the cross and his death and burial and resurrection, or whether they're just skepticism that shows up in your behavior and your resistance or dismissiveness to apply certain things to your life. You see, when you bring that to God, when you bring that to Jesus, he is gentle with you. Just like he was gentle to Nathaniel. And he is kind. And you find love and you find forgiveness. And here at the cross, at Jesus Christ, you find not only an intellectual satisfaction, but an emotional satisfaction as well. And your faith can be strengthened as we live out this life as followers of Christ, because we are all disciples, even though we're skeptics. Will you pray with me?